Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the New Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. John Frederick. So this is 4.2, Perfecting the Connected Dots, from love to blamelessness. Well, we've been talking a lot about reading in a text, within the passage, within the original context of a letter. And at the same time, we've also been talking about reading across the texts, interpreting scripture by scripture in order to pursue a biblical theology. However, in this episode, we're going to begin not only by looking in a text within its original context, we're going to actually focus on a single phrase in a passage. Yay! Sounds exhilarating. Well, it is. You see, In the New Testament, which was originally written in Greek, we have to translate that into English for most of us to understand it. And when we do that, sometimes we lose some of the original meaning of a text. So I want to do a little bit of that sort of work today. Hear the word of God from 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 in the ESV translation. And then I want you to hear it in the NIV version and see if you notice uh, any major differences. So here's the ESV version to start with. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. And now, here's the NIV version of that same passage. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. If you're looking at the PDF workbook, I have the area of the note highlighted and side by side. Did you hear any difference? In the ESV, verse 12 into verse 13 reads, the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that, so that, He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Yet the NIV, however, reads, The Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts. Now, why is this important? Well, the different renderings actually significantly change the logical flow of Paul's argument. In the ESV version, the so that introduces what follows as the result of increasing and abounding love. In the NIV version, the translation renders it as a wish. May he strengthen, and almost as a separate idea, sort of side by side with the growth in love that it produces. Aha! Someone may say, this undermines your earlier argument, John, that the Bible is trustworthy. See, there are two different translations. 
and thus there are mistakes in the Bible. Well, no. Yes, of course. I mean, there are two different translations, but that does not mean there are mistakes in the Bible. The Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Hebrew and Greek. So, you know, we can argue about what translation is best, but that is not an issue about mistakes in the Bible. It's just an issue of which translation is the best. Every translation is an interpretation. And in some sense, it's not really going to make that big of a difference in most contexts. I think it does here. But if you want, you don't need to be a scholar to figure these things out. You can go to free websites like BibleGateway.com and you can easily pull up different translations of the Bible side by side and you can compare them. And that helps you to get the best general sense of what the text was actually saying in the original. In this instance, the Greek is this is important because the beginning part, ace, which you can see in your PDF workbook, plus an infinitive verb, which is exactly what we have here, indicates purpose. It indicates result. Thus, the ESV is the more accurate translation in this instance. So with the ESV, the text should really read like this. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. So that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. What Paul is saying here is very important for a theology of spiritual growth. Namely, that the God-given growth in love that we experience results in or produces the reality of believers being blameless in holiness. Now, blamelessness and holiness, these are words that Paul has used elsewhere to talk about the pursuit of of moral holiness and growth in Christian character. The theological term for this is sanctification. In the Old Testament, holiness and blamelessness referred to the cultic sacrifices. Certain sacrifices were offered, and these sacrifices needed to be special, holy, set apart. They needed to be without blemish, which is the same word here translated as blameless. As the Old Testament progressed, these ritual and cultic terms came to be applied to ethical realities. And by the time we get to the New Testament, their primary emphasis was on the holiness and blamelessness of Christians and the holiness and blamelessness of the church. And the church now exists, as we saw in Romans 12, as a singular living sacrifice to God, which transforms and renews our minds as a spiritual act of worship. In this verse, in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is articulating a new covenant theology of sanctification in a nutshell. Through living in love, God who is love conforms us to his image through love. Paul prays that our love might abound so that our hearts might be established blameless in holiness. It can be seen especially clearly in Philippians 1, 9 to 11, 
which we'll look at in just a moment. The theme, however, is not limited to Paul's writings. It is a thread that runs through the entire New Testament. We find Jesus, for example, talking about this in John 15. Furthermore, the Apostle John teaches the same basic idea in 1 John 3-4. through The idea is also present in the epistles of James and Peter. Let's have a look at the theme in each of those places, beginning in Philippians 1, 9-11. And that text reads, It is my prayer that your love might abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that, again, so that, you may approve what is excellent, and so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You know, in the next episode, we're going to really dig into what holiness and blamelessness looks like practically. But for the time being, it's worth at least noting that Paul is serious about holiness. He is serious about moral living in order that we might be skilled in approving what is excellent, or as the NRSV translates it, to determine what is best. Moral living for Paul and for Jesus and for the apostles is not an optional addendum to salvation. Because as James himself says, faith without works is dead. These works do not save us, but they do sanctify us. When we live in the way of Christ's love, Paul says in Philippians, this causes us to react in light of the knowledge and discernment that accords with being an active disciple of Christ. And this results in our ability to approve and to do what is excellent. And this, Paul argues, causes us to be pure. It causes us to be blameless on the day of Christ. And the day of Christ is a reference to the final judgment when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. And Paul refers to this in verse 11 as the fruit of righteousness. And he reminds us that this righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. All of this, Paul concludes, brings God great glory and great praise. To recall Luther's solas of the Reformation, we rely on sola scriptura, scripture alone, and find that we are saved by sola fide, by faith alone, sola gratia, through God's grace alone, solus Christus, by Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. Now some, when they hear that we're trying to pursue purity, and blamelessness, and moral living, and holiness, these sort of things. When they hear that, they might say, man, that sounds like legalism. That sounds like perfectionism. However, that is not what Paul is arguing. Paul has argued elsewhere that human beings are saved by God's grace alone, through Christ's faithfulness, which we receive through faith, apart from any works that we perform. It is by no merit of our own that we are accepted, justified, counted in right relationship with God, welcomed into his family. Justification is by faith alone. Yet, when the Bible uses this sort of language about sanctification, 
It is, again, to remind us that while God accepts us as we are, He does not intend to leave us where we are. He intends to make us complete. In fact, the word that Jesus and Paul and the entire New Testament uses that is often translated perfection is teleos or teleao. And what it really means is not moral perfectionism, but comprehensive completion. If we think about holiness and sanctification as a journey of human beings seeking completion, rather than as a journey of legalistic perfectionism, we will better envision how our life of sanctification is not contrary to, but the entire point of God's embrace of us through faith alone, by grace alone. It is revealing to me that for Paul, this spiritual growth is described as fruit, and that the power that cultivates the fruit of our sanctification comes from a source outside of ourselves, namely from Christ and from His righteousness. It is not that we have no role to play in, you know, cooperating with God's cultivation of holiness within us, but it is an emphasis on the fact that our sanctification is not self-generated. It is God-generated for God's glory and for our joy in Him. As the Westminster Confession of Faith begins, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Elsewhere, Jesus Himself offers a similar paradigm for thinking about spiritual growth. In John 15, Jesus insists that it is only through living and remaining in Him, the vine, that we, the branches, will grow and be transformed by love. This is a reminder that our quest for spiritual growth is not ultimately about us as salvation solo projects, following our own individual sanctification plans, but it is rather about a unified reality that takes place as we together exist in one vine, drawing our life, drawing our energy from Christ himself. Hear the gospel of the Lord from John 15. I am the vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will remain even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and if my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, 
showing yourselves to be my disciples. And Jesus continues, As the Father loved me, so I have loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept the commands of my Father, and I remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my Father's name, my Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. As we continue to explore the theme of sanctification, growth in holiness, conformity to the character of Christ, let us not forget what we have learned here. For Paul, Jesus, and for the other inspired authors of the New Testament, living in love transforms us through love. The cross is not merely something that saves us. It is something that sanctifies us. Trusting in the sacrifice of the cross allows us to rest in the work of Christ for our salvation by grace alone. And walking in the way of the cross applies the benefits of Christ's efficacious saving work to us by transforming us, by cruciforming us through love into the image of the cruciform God who is love. And so as we go this week, I invite you to meditate on John chapter 15. Sit with it, pray through it, and find yourself changed as you meet Jesus through it by the Spirit. See you next time. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.